presence matters. The last thing I want to do this morning is relive 2020. But I do think we learned, the world learned, that for as technologically sophisticated as our world is, technology cannot replace presence. Seeing each other through a screen or through a window does not in any way replace being in the same room. What the whole world had just taken for granted was suddenly taken away. Presence. It was suddenly absent. And we felt it. You know this. Weddings. We thought about already earlier this morning, funerals. The presence of people who show up to see you in the flesh means more than words can express. Because God has made us embodied souls, God cares about presence. I mean, fundamental to the Christian faith since the very beginning is presence, gathering together. Yes, even in the presence of the risen Christ, as the Spirit works. Now, if human presence matters, how much more does God's presence matter? What difference does God's presence make? Now, if you're thinking about the Bible rightly right now, you're thinking, well, it depends. And you'd be right. In the scriptures, God's presence is both the hope of God's people, and if it's understood rightly, it is the fear of those who have not become one of God's people. Those who have not trusted in, have become united to God's only son. The presence of God can cut both ways. And it's the Lord's presence that comes to the very forefront of Genesis 39, which is where we'll be this morning as we go back into the story of Joseph. As we work through this chapter, here's the, the main point I want you to see in it. No matter where or what, no matter where or what, the Lord is present with his people, providing and accomplishing his purpose. No matter where or what, the Lord is present with his people, providing, accomplishing his purpose. So trust him. Trust him. No matter where or what, the Lord is present with his people, providing and accomplishing his purpose. So trust him. We're going to work through this chapter, walking through three different scenes in it. And we're going to begin, number one, with presence and promise. Presence and promise. That's the first verse to the first part of verse six. Presence and promise. I'm going to read those verses now. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. 
the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, if we were watching a movie, we would right now be cutting away from that entire scene with Judah that we saw last week, and we would be cutting over to Joseph. He's over in Egypt. And verse 1, we recall he's been sold into slavery, but he was sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So Judah has gone down to Canaan by choice. Joseph has been brought down to Egypt by force, sold by the Ishmaelites. He's a long way from his home. He is seemingly a long way from his destiny. This man whom God revealed had a royal destiny, so much so that his brothers would bow down to him has at this point been dishonored and disowned by his brothers. Joseph is an afterthought. He is despised by his brothers, but not by God. Surprisingly, we read in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, the first evidence of the Lord's presence with Joseph that you might be tempted to overlook is that he's very fortunately in his master's house. He's not in the field. And it's not just Moses who says the Lord was present with him. Joseph's Egyptian master sees it. Verse three, the master would have lived in a world of gods. He's a powerful Egyptian. And he sees that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is causing all that this slave is doing to succeed. Joseph finds favor with him in verse four, and he puts him in charge of everything, everyone in his house. Now, most likely his house was filled with 100 or more slaves. And then notice verse five. We learn it wasn't that the Lord was simply with Joseph, but that the Lord blessed that man's house, everything in his house and in his field. So the Lord's presence with Joseph caused this Egyptian house to prosper. It may very well have been Captain Potiphar who ruled in Egypt in bringing Joseph into his house, but you are very much meant to see that behind this man, above this man, is the power of the sovereign Lord, whose providence, whose presence is in the midst of all of this. 
we are to learn the empire does not reign. The Lord reigns. But we must not miss the reason, the grounds of this blessing. It was, notice, for Joseph's sake. So when we began this two weeks ago, we were back in Genesis 37. And remember, there was nothing explicitly written there about the providence of God and his rule in that story. But boy, were we supposed to see it. It was God's moment-by-moment rule in his life and every detail that Joseph was delayed from finding his brothers, that Joseph was not killed by his brothers, that Joseph was sold into slavery from Abraham to Joseph. God's people then were supposed to clearly see God goes with his people. He rules his people when his people are down in Egypt even when his people are in Egypt as slaves. The Lord, Yahweh, is present with his people. And the Lord has the power to bring about the destiny he's promised to his people. See here that God's power, God's presence, is not in any way frustrated by those who have power in the world. It may not have been explicit in chapter 37. It's explicit here. The Lord's providence, his gracious presence with Joseph. Now remember, Joseph's life is part of a much bigger story. He's part of the story of promise that God had said to Abraham, through your family, he would bring blessing to the world. And here's Joseph, sold off as a slave into Egypt. And yet he's strangely being used by the Lord to bring about this promise to this Egyptian and his whole house. There's not a doubt in my own mind that when 17-year-old Joseph was sold off into slavery to an Ishmaelite caravan, that he would have had so many questions as he rode in that caravan all the way down to Egypt. I don't think that there's any way that at that point he made sense of his circumstances, that he grasped that the Lord was with him. I bet he looked at his circumstances and he wondered about all of the vivid dreams he had had of royal destiny, about the great promises he would have heard from his own family about the Lord and his promises to them. And he must have wondered, where are you, God? But God's people are meant to see, you're meant to see, God keeps his promises. The Lord had said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in such an unexpected, even in the smallest of ways, for Joseph's sake, God blesses this man and his entire house. God's presence, God's promise mediated through God's people. In the most surprising way, here is Joseph being the very instrument through which God is keeping his promises to the world. Brothers and sisters, God keeps his promises, even and especially when everything in your life, everything that you see in the world says otherwise. Joseph was in circumstances he would have not dreamed were part of the plan. 
But God's people must learn that God's ways, God's wisdom are not our ways, not our wisdom. Never believe that what you see is in any way upending the promises, the plans of God. Whatever it is that you see, no matter how confusing, is exactly what God is using to bring about his promises and plans. Uh, This account is meant to change your sight, the way you see the world, the way you see God. His promises come by his ways. And so whether it's in a big thing or a small thing, simply take God at his word. Trust him. Uh, This world, if we're honest, uh, this region feels so chaotic. It in no way is upending God's control. Trust him. Day by day and moment by moment, God's enslaved people in Egypt, they would have been so tempted to disbelieve promises that they knew their God had made to them. And they were meant to simply trust that the God who did not abandon enslaved Joseph in Egypt would not abandon them either. And you're to trust the same. For those who have the eyes to see, God was keeping his promise to bless the world through Abraham's family for Joseph's sake. And see as well that the Lord is present with his people. We read it twice, which means it's important. It's a night and day difference in this chapter from last chapter. The Lord's presence with his people in Egypt and the Lord's presence in Genesis 38 in Canaan. There, Judah and his sons walked by sight and the Lord was present through judgment, putting his sons to death. Here we see Joseph who knows the presence of the Lord in his grace. If Judah by his life and wickedness was bringing death and destruction with him, here's Joseph by his faith and faithfulness bringing blessing to everyone and everything around him. God's presence in Judah's life and judgment, God's presence with Joseph in grace. The Lord's presence cuts both ways. Given who we are as sinners in a sinful state and who God is in a blessed and holy state, God's presence is terrifying. Outside of grace, outside of trusting in God's promised son, the one God promised would come. And yet for you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, you live confident each day that by the Spirit, the risen Christ is with you always, everywhere to the end of the age. I long for that massive truth to sink into your heart afresh this morning that by the Spirit, you know the presence of the risen Christ. We know his presence together graciously, even as his word goes forward among us. Our God goes with his people in power to the foreign land. Does not mean he always does what you want. It does mean his presence means he will keep 
his promises. I hope you see that. I hope you see that in this place. I hope we see that together. Uh, God's presence with us in Christ means we don't have to live as those around us live. Uh, This is a nation in which so many come here to take, to get. And yet God with us means we're free to simply give our lives away. It means you are free to constantly and consciously live aware of his presence as you wash dishes, as you study, as you teach, as you make the gospel known, as you oversee people in your workplace as an employer, as you as an employee write the next report. You live in and with the gracious presence of God. So for you who are in Christ, the question is, are you living way below your privileges? The 16th century English pastor William Ames said this, theology is the knowledge of how to live in the presence of God. So do you want to understand life in God's presence? Know God more. And as you know him, you will increasingly live by faith and faithfully before him. God's presence in your life in Christ transforms the most mundane, ordinary part of your week. And the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ proves it. The Lord's presence was with Joseph such that in verse six, the Egyptian left all that he had in his charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food he ate. Now, the food that he ate, I think most likely this just means his private affairs. The big picture here is that for Joseph's sakes, the Lord blessed this man. The Lord was mediating blessing to him, and the blessing here was physical. And it's pointing us forward to the greatest blessing that would be mediated for Jesus' sake, which is spiritual. As we live by faith, as we live faithfully in God's presence, we Trust God will use his people to mediate spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus to others. The Lord's gracious presence with Joseph. It is such that in the midst of the most powerful people on the planet in that day, the Lord prospered him and through him prospered others. Brothers and sisters, it matters that our God is with us not just for us, but for those around us. We see first presence and promise. And that leads to passion and persecution. The second scene, passion and persecution. The second part of verse six to verse 18, passion and persecution. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Here's Joseph. He lives, he works under and with the gracious presence of God. Evidently, Joseph wasn't bad looking. It's not just Moses who says it. In verse seven, Mrs. Potiphar thinks he's very good looking. In her passion, she seeks to seduce him. Now look at verse 10. It clearly wasn't a one-time thing. It was relentless. It was day after day. And Joseph refused. I mean, think about this young man. He is far away from his home. He's lost everything. And he is steadfastly, faithfully refusing. He is in circumstances in which he could have said, no one will know. I deserve this. Everything with his own sight was urging him to say yes. And by faith, he says no. Brother Judah is walking by sight. Joseph is walking by faith. Unlike Judah, Joseph is a Psalm 1 kind of man. He walks in the fear of the Lord. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And he is not shy to tell Mrs. Potiphar why he's refusing. Verse 8, because of me, my master has no concern about anything. He's put me over everything. He's made me his equal. He hasn't withheld anything except you because you're his wife. So stunning. Now this book that begins the story of the whole world with the man and the woman in the garden, living in the good presence of God, the God who had put them in charge of everything, who withheld nothing except one thing. They magnified the one thing. Instead of his preachers, seeing and rejoicing in all that God had abundantly given them. They wanted to play the part of creator. And so they could only focus on that one thing to which God said, no. How different is Joseph? Here is a man who is under authority and gladly submits to authority because of me, my master has no concern. The prospering of that house did not drive Joseph to pride, but to humility. 
And unlike Adam and Eve, who did not see the one thing that his master withheld, his wife, as evidence of the master's stinginess, he saw it as the good exercise of the master's authority. Day after day, here's Joseph refusing temptation. Here is Joseph staying within the boundary lines the master had given him. Why? Joseph is not ultimately submitting to the Egyptian master for his sake, but for God's. Joseph is a man who fears God. And he is a man, end of verse 9, who bears witness to God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How different is Joseph from Judah? Here was Judah taking everything he wanted. Here's Joseph alone in Egypt. Everything he sees with his eyes is tempting him otherwise. And he says, no, he bears faithful witness in the face of passion. We saw again and again last week, failure after failure in private. Here is faithfulness in private. More than us seeing this faithfulness, God saw it. God who is omniscient, the God who knows himself fully, who knows all things, sees everything. As you go to work this week, in your office, in your home, in your classroom, God sees. He sees faithfulness. Now, this account is meant to teach you, Christian, that your faithfulness to God means more than you can possibly know. Think about how different the world would be right now if Joseph's, Joseph had been faithless in this situation. If he had reasoned, what I do in the privacy of this house, far away from home, doesn't matter. Not in God's world. The smallest act of faithfulness can have the most massive consequences for God's global purposes in Christ. We're taught here that in the sight and in the hands of our God, the smallest faithfulness, the smallest obedience can result in gospel blessing more than you can fathom or plan. I think church history is replete with examples of this. There's so many stories that came to my mind as I was thinking about this text of Christians who have been faithful in the face of death or resisted temptation. But what kept coming to my mind as I thought about this is the countless stories of how churches start. When I've gone to different churches, especially churches that have been established for a long time, I love to hear their birth story, how they came to be. And almost without fail, the story is simply of a small group of Christians who started getting together to read and hear and preach and sing God's word, to worship. A small group of Christians who had been dead a long time, who could never fathom how far the Lord had taken their faithfulnesses beyond their own lives. You should long for that in your life. We should long for that in our life together. In God's universe, your faithfulness, when the boss is not around, it matters. You're saying no to temptation this week in private when no one else is around. It matters so very much. You have 
no idea how God might use that faithfulness. But from this account, you can be sure that he does. Who even knows what the Lord is up to right now in your workplace, in the lives of other people, because you are living by faith and pursuing righteousness. Moms, I hope that you trust deeply that the Lord sees your faithfulness. I hope that you know that he is using it, not just in your children's life, but in the lives of countless others one day you may not meet. In your own relationships, those who you're bearing witness to, when it's so easy to stay silent, you have no idea what the Lord is doing. You have no idea what the Lord might do in the future. And so in all of this, the question for all of us is, will we fear the Lord? Will we walk by faith or will we give higher regard to what we see with our eyes? Notice Joseph did not say to Potiphar's wife, how could I do this great wickedness? How could I sin against my master? It was true, but against God. Here is a man who knows he lives in the presence of, before the face of God. Here's a text that teaches us very clearly that the world can certainly try to destroy us through the sword, but it also destroys us through seduction. It causes us to want to just buy into its value system, to, to see everything by its own horizon. We're to be warned by this. Uh, the wicked are described in Psalm 17 as those whose portion is in this life. Comes to an end. Living by faith means that while you enjoy all of the privileges that are yours in Christ, the fullness of portion comes then, later, and it will not disappoint. It's this kind of faith that is fueling Joseph to reduce all the seduction that this world could throw at him. And notice this, when seduction didn't work, Joseph then had to face persecution. Passion turned to persecution. Day after day, he is resisting in the fear of God until verse 11, that one day, no other men around, Potiphar's wife seeks to seduce him one more time. And it's that garment that the narrator hones in on. She takes him by the garment. He leaves his garment in her hand and he flees. As soon as she saw that he had left the garment in her hand and fled, she calls to the men of the house, verse 14, see, he has brought a Hebrew among us to laugh at us. She's bringing to the forefront, he's a foreigner, a dirty foreigner. She's falsely accusing him. She lies about him violating her. She lies in saying that he left his garment and fled as soon as he heard her scream. And then she kept the garment, verse 16, until notice, not her husband, his master came home. And she tells him in verse 17, the exact same story. Notice how shrewd she is in the way that she talks to her husband. The Hebrew servant whom you brought here, he did this to me. He left his garment Uh, The first time this happened to Joseph, it was the coat of many colors. This time, it's this garment. It's the second time he's been lied about using the very clothes on his back. Such a strange chapter. We're so meant to see clearly the Lord is with Joseph 
And we're also meant to see that the Lord's gracious presence with his people does not mean that his people will not be persecuted. This is meant to put to death any thought that you have that every good deed will be rewarded. Good deeds in this world can get you lied about. They can get you thrown into prison. Here's Joseph. He's feared God. He lived doing right, was in the sight of God. He faithfully bore witness, which took courage to God. And he's been slandered. He's been lied about in the worst way. Does God owe Joseph better than this? How could this be God's plan? Wouldn't you ask that? Wouldn't you be tempted to ask God that? God's presence does not mean there will be no persecution. It does mean you will know the fullness of God's provision in the midst of it. Here's the Lord prospering that house for Joseph's sake. And here is the Lord providing for Joseph everything he needs to be faithful. Now we want, we pray for some of whom come to mind, even in this moment, brothers and sisters who know persecution to be delivered. But we are confident that because of God's presence in Christ by the spirit, he will give them, us, everything we need to be faithful. In the midst of this persecution, faithful Joseph has withstood the test and his faithfulness is enough. What you see with your eyes can be terribly fearful. God only calls you to be faithful, to trust him. Now you can see what this would have meant to Israelites who were wandering and walking in the wilderness. They would have known God's presence by cloud and fire as they were facing opposition from one people after another, God simply called them to trust him. Take him at his word. Others might be prospering for Joseph's sake in this account, but I hope you see this is not an account that is holding out to you any kind of prosperity gospel. Like Joseph, your faithful witness bearing good works might mean the whole world turns against you. It might mean you end up with nothing. But what does Joseph have? He has God, his presence and his provision. And Joseph is the man with more than enough. This account teaches us what it means to live faithfully in this life. It certainly means we will not often win in this life. It also means that we must learn to serve and trust the God who delights to work in power in what looks like and is defeat. And we also learn to see that the powerful of this world don't actually have the power that they think they do. When God's people are in the very worst place, our God is working in the most power. Passion turns so quickly to persecution. Joseph's been lied about, and he's absolutely powerless to defend himself. And yet far from being abandoned by God, he is exactly where God would have him. Where is that? Not in the palace, in the prison, in the red hot center of the purposes of God. 
That's how we finish. The final scene is prison and purpose. Prison and purpose. Verses 19 through 23. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in that prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph did everything right. He was treated so wrong. The master that he so faithfully served, he resisted temptation day after day is the very same master who in verse 20 throws him into prison. He didn't kill him. Maybe the master knew his wife well enough to know what she was like. Nevertheless, Joseph has had royal dreams and he finds himself in a prison, but not any prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. How different are the ways of God? The lower he's descending in rank, the closer he's getting to royalty. Surely this can't be the way. Surely God's purposes have gone off track. And yet this text tells you otherwise, if you're tempted to think that way. If you're tempted to think that the Lord is absent, this text screams at you. The Lord Yahweh was with Joseph. The Lord is present with him when he's prospering others for his sake. The Lord is present with him in prison. Even more, he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. How this just upends the way we see the world. If you had just plopped down into Egypt at that very moment into history, you would have been so taken with the power of Pharaoh, so taken with all that you saw, the presence of power meant to show you the power of the Egyptians. You would have been impressed with those who have. You would have barely noticed the have-nots. You would have seen what was strong. You would not have noticed. You would not have given a second thought to this slave in the prison. How different are the ways and wisdom of God? God was present in the prison with the slave. And that nation of power, it's the slave who knows the presence and the steadfast love of God. Do you see what's happening here? Here's God's man. He keeps on doing what's right. He continues to be faithful. He's lied about. He's thrown in prison. Far from evidence that God is not keeping his promises, it's exactly how he's keeping his promises. It's through that man that God was accomplishing his salvation purposes for the world. I mean, do you see the glory of God in this? From the beginning, God is preparing his people 
for a salvation that will come to the world by human weakness, even by human persecution, even in the place of human rejection. We're not just being prepared here as God's people that we will be persecuted for righteousness sake. That's true. We're being prepared for God's son to be crucified, not because of what he did wrong, but because he only did what was right. Lied about, betrayed by his own brothers, handed over by those with power, worse than being thrown into a prison, he was nailed to the cross. And unlike Joseph, and the text is clear, knew the presence of God in that prison, Jesus would cry out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At his lowest moment, Joseph knew the presence of God in steadfast love. In the hour of his agony, Jesus knew the presence of God in the fullness of his wrath. Why? That we might never have to. It's by the prison that God is working to save his people from a famine. It's by the cross that God works once for all to save his people from our sin. As you read this, see how God delights to show his glory in the world. See it in Joseph's story, but don't stop there. Let it drive you to see the glory and the wisdom of the cross where God's steadfast love for sinners shines at its absolute brightest. Let the cross change the way you see and assess glory in the world because it's at the cross where God's judging presence in wrath was poured out on his son so that God's gracious presence would be forever with everyone who would ever repent and believe in the Son. God who is holy and who is good has accomplished a real salvation for real sin by real sinners in Jesus at the cross. And God raised Jesus up. That's the gospel. That's what God was ultimately about with Joseph in this prison. It's what God is ultimately about today in the world. I would long for any of you who have not come to the Son in faith to lay your burdens down and turn and believe in the Son. Find life in his name and believe him when he says that in him you find life and he will be with you even unto the end of the age by grace. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, God is present with us. He only relates to us by steadfast love. Some of you had a bad week. Some of you had a terrible morning. Now that might change what you enjoy in your communion with God. It does not change God's love for you in Christ. Steadfast love is love that will not quit. It keeps going. And the reason you struggle and I struggle to believe in God's steadfast love is because we know how different that love is from our own. We can't fathom it. God's steadfast love meant he will not quit loving Joseph. It means for you, Christian, he will not quit 
loving you, even though you're giving him every reason not to. Right now, your circumstances, whatever it is, are not evidence of his absence or his anger, but of his love. Sit in that. Rest in that. When you're confident of that, when you're sure that his providence and his presence are all working for your good, it does give you contentment and power to wait, to be patient. Patient in relationships, patient with your family, patient in that circumstance that you don't want, patient in suffering. God's presence provides patience to wait. That's what Joseph must do. Wait in weakness. And God is going to be exactly on time in Joseph's life. Friends, the more you understand this, the more power you will have to wait, to be patient, and then to trust that God is doing more in your life than you can fathom in those days and years that you wait. Joseph is being persecuted. God is accomplishing his purpose. Verse 22 keeper of the prison, put Joseph in charge. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. He paid no attention to anything because the Lord was with him. Not in the palace, down in the prison. The Lord's purposes being accomplished. The God who was with Joseph as he descended to the lowest of lows, notice he is slowly raising him back up. Presence matters. Certainly never underestimate the presence of your life in someone else's. Never underestimate the privilege of the God who is holy and eternal, his gracious presence with you in Christ. His presence of grace was purchased for you at the very high cost of the blood of his son which means that you and I have every provision we need to be faithful, whether it's in prosperity or whether it is in a prison. It was certainly true for Joseph by the Lord's presence and power. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. And you can trust that the Lord, our God, has not changed.